Uh, it's so awesome to be able to worship the Lord, right? And uh, so we get to worship our God in our in our worship, actual music. We get to worship God in our fellowship and putting Him in the center of all that as well. Now we get to worship in the Word. So if you would take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter twenty, and uh, we'll or twenty one actually. We just finished up Acts chapter twenty last week, and we're going to look at the first handful of verses in verse uh, chapter twenty one here, and uh, see what God has to has for us this morning. So as you are turning there, I'm going to go ahead and begin reading with verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed in Tyre. For there a ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days, They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children until we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave one of another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were... Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and we stayed many days. A certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt." And deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when he had heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking of my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. Lord, as we come before you once again, Lord, before we look at your word in detail, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. And I pray, God, that through your Holy Spirit, Lord, we would listen. Uh, Lord, not just hear, but listen and apply everything that you have for us, Lord. I pray that it would start with me. Lord, may there be clarity of thought and speech, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would, Lord, be challenged as we leave this place from your word, that we may go out and live it. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You know, listening to the Holy Spirit is a really important step in knowing how, when, or if you should do something or go somewhere. Um, Unfortunately, I personally believe that many believers go about their daily activities, fulfilling whatever is on their agenda, without even taking a moment to ask God's will concerning their tasks. I think we go in such coast mode every day, as I said earlier, that it's so easy. We have our routines, right? I mean, we get up, the alarm clock goes off, we get up, we... You know, at least for me, it's like there's this morning routine we have now. I get up, you know, uh, as I'm passing the kitchen to go to the rest bathroom, I make put coffee on, I get some things going, let the dogs out. We have our no- normal routine, and we don't really just stop. <sighs> and say, Lord, thank you for another day. Thank you for another day of life, breath, health. Another day to just use our minds to think and to reason. And then, Lord, would you put a hedge of protection about my family, my kids, give my wife strength for the day to do the tasks that she has? Do we truly just stop 
and say, Lord, you orchestrate my steps today. And I think how often in our daily routines do we even slow down and just take a minute to stop? Anybody else struggle with that? Because once that, I mean, I hate snoozes. I'm just personal pet peeve of mine. I hate snoozes. I had a roommate in college. He'd hit that stupid snooze button seven times. And finally one day I yanked that cord and went, poof. That thing, I mean, it came down and kind of went between the bunk bed and down. And I picked that thing up and I threw it right on the ground. I said, set the stinking alarm the time you need to get up and get up. I worked the night shift. And my roommate liked to hit the snooze seven times. Anybody, anybody else had to deal with that? That is the worst invention ever. My wife's not up here. She uses it. Um, I hate snoozes. Get up when you got to get up and get up. You know, but, you know, I think it's so easy that we get about our tasks, we get up in the morning, we go about what we got to do, and we don't even ask God. Or even maybe we do in the morning, but then the rest of the day we're on our, we're, we're in, you know, autopilot doing what we do. And yet God's word says pray without ceasing, right? You know, and we just go about our day and say, Lord, it's been a rough day. I need your help. And just as you're doing, you didn't have to stop, get on your knees and take a minute, but right there where you're at, whatever it is in the midst of what you're doing, saying, God, help me. Or God, I got a decision that I got to make by tomorrow night. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Lord, I need your I need your I need your wisdom here. Do we even just stop? Or do we compare opportunities and well, this one has this and this, and this one has this and this, and I want to see here, which one should I do? It's like a, and we in our mind come to the re, you know, reason with ourselves to think, well, this is what I should do because this is a better situation than this one. Well, what if God is not telling you to do this one? What if God says, I know this may look good right now, but this is better for you in the long run. But we'll never know if we don't stop and slow down and take the time, right? But, I think most of us, if we're not careful, we can go in the autopilot coast mode and just let God be God and do whatever God's going to do. And yet God is there saying, hey, hello, I'm here. <laughs> Look to me. If you draw a nine to me, I'll draw a nine to you. So here I am. But as we do our own thing, the result of that is that many believers go about their day doing what they want to do versus what God wants them to do. Um. It's been amazing to me. I've had some really neat conversations in the last two weeks. Um, I met a guy named Ben, and uh, I've been talking with Ben. And uh, so, anyway, I found myself in a group of guys the other night that they were talking about going to Tally Ho. And one of them happened to be another preacher. And uh, he goes, I go over there, they, they got bills to pay too. You know, talking about the people that work there. And I was just thoroughly disgusted. And uh, so all the guys started looking at me like, well, he's a preacher and he's a preacher. He goes, he doesn't. What would you do in that situation? Well, this is, this is a wrong conversation. I'm just going to see myself out of it. And then, honestly, if you're like most of us and you regret not saying anything later, right? Because you really know in your heart you should have. So I started praying right there in that moment. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And also, one guy just kind of, as soon as I got those thoughts out of my mind, praying silently to myself, I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The guy looks at me, he goes, well, he's a preacher, he's going, you're a preacher now, why aren't you? Are you married? I said, I am so happily married. I said, I am blessed beyond measure. 
I said, let me tell you. I said, my wife doesn't run up credit card debt. She doesn't go out shopping every other night. I said, she serves me. I serve her. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean you serve her? And I said, well, my wife sacrifices a lot. I said, she works full time. I said, so we've got a routine now. I said, every morning, her alarm goes off. I get up. I don't care what time I go to bed. Right, Don? doesn't matter what time I go to bed, so I'm not lying here. It doesn't matter what time I go to bed. At 6 o'clock when her alarm goes off, I make coffee. I make her breakfast. I make her lunch. And a lot of days I'll help carry her stuff out. And I said, I serve her. I said, but in turn, she also serves me. I said, she washes my clothes and, you know, we take turns doing dinner even. You know, I cook usually Monday, Tuesday nights and she'll cook the other nights. And we, so it's a team. And I said, and by the way, it's not 50-50. One of the guys in the corner, he goes, he goes, I feel like I'm in a men's group therapy session here. <laughs> I said, you might be, I don't know. And then, uh, so, any rate, well, no, they, they started looking at me, it's like, and I said, and by the way, it's not 50-50. It's 100-100. And I said, it's working together. I said, but apart from God working in my life and the Holy Spirit working in both of our lives, I said, and he goes, well, how long have you been married? He's like, like, assuming that maybe this is a new marriage and I'm still in the honeymoon stage. I said, I've been married 30 years this summer. And I said, it hasn't always been easy. But I said, I've done some stupid stuff over the years and been selfish over the years. But I said, God has blessed us. And he goes, and then the other guy goes, well, what church you go to? I said, I, said, I said, listen, I'll tell you where I go to church. But I said, it's not about the church that you go to. It's not about a denomination. It's not about being Catholic or Lutheran or Methodist or Church of God, Church of Christ or Nazarene or whatever. I said, it's all about a relationship with Jesus. I said, and apart from that relationship, you can't be the person God wants you to be. And so as I was sitting there talking to this in this group, in this setting, it's like all of a sudden God just opened the door and directed. How do you, listen, I could have done one of two things there. The easy thing would have been what? What? Walk out. I mean, I don't want to be in this circle. I mean, are you kidding me? This is a weird group. But then again, it's an opportunity. And I couldn't do it on my own because I don't know what to say. But what does God's Word say? If you surrender to Him, He will what? He'll guide us. He'll direct us. He'll open the door that we need to walk through. And I find that's what Paul's doing. He's just walking through the doors that God is opening to him. I look at this and my my mind is like... God has taught us over and over again that He does what He does under the... Or I mean, uh, uh, Paul has taught us over and over that He does everything that He does under the compulsion of the Holy Spirit's leading. Right? Over and over He makes it clear. So you start thinking about this. You know, how many cities did he go through in a matter of weeks? That's a whirlwind tour. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, he's like in a different town, different village, different seaside place. About every other day, except for a couple places he stayed you know, a period of time. Some places he stayed a week. Some days he stayed three days. Some days he stayed three years, right? But how do you know when to go, when to leave, when to stay, when to take off? He's daily fellowshipping with God. He's daily asking the Lord to open the doors, close the doors. What does Scripture teach us concerning the plans of man? Keep your finger there in Acts, but turn over to the book of Proverbs, chapter 16. Just for a moment. 
Um, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says this, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Do we really believe that? Think about this. If we were walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ every day of our life, Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Now, the word good does not necessarily mean perfect. It doesn't mean it's without sin. It has the idea of a man who is maturely walking with Jesus. He said the steps of a good man, a mature man who's walking with Jesus, are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. I don't, I mean, I, I, this blows my mind. Would, would God just make me do something that I just absolutely despise and hate and just, it's just the worst thing on the face of the earth? One of two things has to change. Either I need to change the job or I need to change my attitude. Right? Bottom line is, God says, and He delights in His way. When you surrender your life to God and you let God direct your steps, He'll, you'll have delight in doing what God asks you to do. I don't know, there's a million other things that other people could do, but I, I don't know, but you, this is what God's called me to, is being a pastor and working with people and encouraging people. And the bottom line is, I have delight in this. There's nothing else I'd rather do. I don't want to work in a factory. I could work in a factory. I have worked in a factory. But that's not what God has for me. I am doing what God wants me to do, and there's delight in it. Does that mean it's always easy? No. And when you're doing what God wants you to do, there's delight. Does that mean it's always easy? No, deal with a bunch of third graders. That's not for me. I'm just saying. Lord bless you, you teachers. I, that's not for me. But there's delight even though there are difficulties. Because God's in the midst of it. So he says, many are the plans of man. Right, A, heart, a man's heart plans his way. So make all the plans you want if you want to humor God a little bit. He says, but I'm going to direct your steps. How about in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21? He says this, There are many plans in man's heart, nevertheless the Lord's counsel that will stand. So you can sit there with your other fellow friends and you say, well, I think I'm going to do this, this, and this, and I think I'll go here, here, and here, and I think I'm going to plan this. And it's like God's like, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, let me know how that works out for you. But the bottom line is, he says the Lord's counsel will stand. What God wants will ultimately take place. Do I always understand it at the moment? I don't. I don't know why God allows some things to happen in my life. But I trust Him. I do. If I would have had my way in certain aspects of my life, I would have been very, very different than what I was going through. Anybody else? I mean, if I would have wanted my way, I want this salary and this position at this location during this time frame and with these people. And God's like, yeah, none of that's going to work for my plans. I mean, I'll bless you in some areas, but they're going to be different and maybe even better than what you thought. And I found that over the last 30 years of our marriage that God has done far beyond what I expected. Anybody else found that out? God is good. But His counsel is going to stand. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to come back to it later, but you know this, everyone in this building knows this verse. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. says this, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct their paths. We say that so fast without even thinking it through in our minds. We put three and five, or five and six together, but we go through that. So in all your ways acknowledge Him. Do we really acknowledge Him in all our ways? Let's, let's be honest. 
When you go to the store, do you acknowledge him, Lord, I'm looking for some deals. You know what my income is. You know what my budget is. You know, Lord, will you direct this? Lord, I have to meet with so-and-so tomorrow. He really rubs me the wrong way. In fact, he really irritates me. And God, I'm going to need your patience. I'm going to need your wisdom. I'm going to need your help as I have this conversation. I think about that often with teachers because I've got to deal with parents who their kids are angels with halos that just aren't shining quite bright enough. No, we got this on camera. Your kid was doing this in the hallway, not my kid. Man, AI even attacked the, the security system, the cameras of the school. I mean, I got a kid on camera doing this, not my son. It's amazing. Man, let's get that rag out and start polishing the halo a little bit brighter. I, I need patience. I need God's direction. I need to acknowledge Him in everything. Anybody else catch yourself that it's daily? I need God. I got this circumstance and I don't know what to do. I need you. Are we willing to acknowledge Him in everything? See, what we do in America in our, mind, in our cultural mindset is that if it's a really big deal, then we acknowledge Him. Or if it's an accident, we'll acknowledge Him. Or if it's sickness, we acknowledge Him. But what about when things are going good? When things aren't overwhelming and God has been faithful and He's blessed us and there's money in the checking account and retirement's okay, we're surviving and God is... Do we acknowledge Him in those things too? Or just the big stuff that's really hard? You say, why, why is this all the big deal? Because Paul is going from place to place to place and how do you know where... How, how, how do you know what, where he's supposed to go next? I mean, why in the last, ch- last chapter did he say, I, I, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, but I'm not going to stop in Ephesus, but I want all the Ephesian elders to come meet me. He was listening to the Spirit and doing what the Spirit wanted him to do over and over again. And what we need to understand, one, one more passage here in James chapter 4. So leave your finger there in Acts, but turn to James chapter 4. And beginning with verse 13, it says this. Oops, one more page. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Sounds like a great plan, right? I mean, you're not just going to go there and sit. I mean, if we're going to go there, we're going to make money. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna bring it home. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. You ever thought about that? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. In fact, Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. But he says, You do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that, but now will you boast in your arrogance that all such boasting is evil. He says, listen, you're, you're, is there anything wrong with planning? No. Isn't that being a good steward of our time to plan and to organize? Yes. What he's saying is what? He says, but you boast in your arrogance and the fact that you know what you think you're going to do. You're going to go to this city. You're going to go buy and sell and make a big profit and you're going to come back. He's like, wait a minute. You haven't acknowledged me. You're an arrogant person thinking that you're going to do what you think you're going to do. He says, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Over and over, God reminds us that we can make plans, but you better submit them to him first. And Paul is teaching us that. So we need to understand that we can make plans, but God has the right to change those plans. But isn't it better just to seek his face before we make the plans? So he doesn't have to disrupt our lives. 
I, I say often over the years as a pastor, there are things that I'd love to do as a church. I would love to have a full-time youth pastor for the next generation. I'd love to do that. You know, when I was a youth pastor, man, it was a, we had a blast. I mean, we'd go on trips and mission trips and activities and, you know, speak to youth and disciple the youth, and we had them in our home. Man, I, I, I want that for our next generation of kids. I want that really bad. I say, Lord, in your timing, would you give us a youth pastor that could really invest into the hearts and the lives and disciple the hearts of the youth, youth of our church? I'd love to see that. But I'm not going to go out and put our church $60,000 in debt to do it, right? In God's timing, in His plan. I would love to have more rooms. Our, our American Heritage Girls and Trail Life Ministries are growing. And I've talked to Brian, said it's hard to even advertise because we don't have no more room for them. That's a good problem, right? But we need more space. You know, and God is blessing, God is working there, but I'm not going to go, you know, by the way, we're going to spend $2 million on a building. Well, we got nothing in the bank, but well, that's all right. God will take care of it. There's a fine line between faith and stupidity. And the bottom line is, I want to walk hand in hand with God. There may be things that I want to do, but I'm going to submit them to God first and see what God wants to do, right? Isn't that the wiser thing to do? God, what do you want to do? Because by the way, God, you know that what the needs are better than I know them. I can't tell you how many times churches have built buildings and then when it's all said and done, they look back two years later and say, that was the dumbest thing we ever did. I wish we'd have never done that. We should have did this, this, and this. And by the way, we should have done that and not done that. Happens all the time. Wouldn't it have been better to say, Lord, we're going to take some time here and we just want to know your heart is on this. We want to know what your mind is on this and we're going to submit them to you, Lord. We have this idea, but Lord, would you just speak to us and show us? And we should be doing that with every aspect of our lives. Asking God what He wants. Well, back to our text in Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. So Paul has left his meeting with the Ephesian elders as in the midst of his, uh, as in the midst of his travels on his way to Kos. He passes through Rhodes, Patera, then on to Phoenicia, past Cyprus, on to Syria, and eventually lands in Tyre. And upon landing in Tyre, he finds the disciples and decides to stay there for seven days. And immediately, Paul is greeted with some uneasy conversations with these disciples. See, Paul, just for a moment, has got an agenda, right? He's on his way to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, he lands in Tyre, and he comes across these disciples that are already there. And the disciples, I mean, it's like, hey, Paul, how's it doing? We couldn't wait for you to get here. As if maybe they didn't know that he was coming or whatever. But he's there, and all of a sudden, they're greeting him, and it's not, hey, come over to our house, let's have a party, you're here. I mean, the great Paul that we've all heard about is immediately, it's like, Paul, you can't go there. Why? Well, somebody's listening to the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 5. He says, I'm sorry, verse 4. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So these disciples had got a word from the Holy Spirit working in their lives to inform Paul, Paul, if you go right now, it's not going to be good. And Paul, what do you think Paul would want to do in his flesh? You think you can scare me? I mean, I mean this, is, this is the man who wrote for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, right? He's not worried about dying. But what's more important about his life than not worrying about dying? Obeying the Holy Spirit. How many times did Paul want to go somewhere and he said, the Spirit forbid me from going? 
There's a time to go and a time to stay, right? There's a time to obey and a time to listen to what God is trying to speak to you. And, and God chose to use these disciples to speak to Him. So the Spirit has told us that you are not to go to Jerusalem. And for whatever reason, the timing was not right. You know, sometimes, you got to think about this. We have our agendas, we have our plans, we think we're organizing our lives, we want to be a steward of what God has given to us concerning our time and, and, and so forth. And God is saying, not now. He's not saying no, but we interpret it as a no. Because the right doors didn't open. Or though they didn't greet me with all kinds of energetic glee and say, oh yeah, we're so glad you're here. Yeah, Paul, well, let's go with you. They gave him the message he didn't want to hear. And sometimes we get a message we don't want to hear when we're walking with the Spirit. And he's saying, not yet. I'm not saying no, but not yet. Do we know that Paul eventually got to Jerusalem? Yeah. But the timing was not right. And I think the one thing that I need to learn from this is that God sometimes says through other people, don't do that. The question is, how do we respond to it? See, the, God's Word is full of people who, who responded negatively to, to the word, voice of truth in their life. And there's consequences to pay. I think of King Asa. You know, when you look at the beginning of Asa's life, I mean, here's a man who's on fire for God. Second Chronicles 14-16. through 16. You got to read it sometimes. It's a great story. When, it, when he became king, he went into the land. He took down all the high places, which were shortcuts to the worship temples that you know, basically created a shortcut to serving God. He took away all the high places. He took away all the, you know, all the problematic things that, you know, that were going on, the idols in the land. I mean, he had to go against his own mother. And take down her, her gods of Astra. And, and like, so he's, I mean, this is a guy who's like, oh, this is a guy I want to be like. Then all of a sudden it gets to the end of his life. And rather than looking to God, he what? Looks to sorcerers and magicians and everyone to, feel, to heal him of his sickness. Man, I, he had a choice to make. Operate in the flesh or let, let God lead. And how often do we look at the circumstances and say, well, yeah, I know God helped me with that one, but this one's a really big one. Really? Because God is able. He's so powerful, we don't even give Him a chance sometimes. But for whatever reason, His answer, when we don't get the answer we want, do we start conniving to open up a different door to get to where we want to go? I mean, I know there's two rooms, or two doors that get into this room. There's one in that corner and there's one in this corner, Right? And if you block that one, I'm just going to kind of go downstairs and come back up through that one because some way or another, I'm going to get in here. So many of us treat life that way. God is closing a door, but you're bound and determined to get in there one way or the other. Paul, I'm sure in his heart, wanted to go on. He wanted to go there. Hands down. I mean, he was making his way there. He wouldn't have been on a ship after ship and town after town getting there if he didn't want to go there. But now all of a sudden, he's confronted with people saying, don't go there. Because the Spirit has told us. You're either going to listen or not. It doesn't stop there. So the Spirit tells them not to go. So they stayed there a while. And then all of them departed, traveled outside the city limits where they knelt and prayed. And again, they departed headed towards home. And then from Tyre, he gets on a ship again and sets sail towards Ptolemaeus. After a day, he heads to Caesarea and went to the house of Philip the Evangelist. And all of a sudden, Philip the Evangelist has four virgins who prophesied. And Paul and his team stayed with Philip for many days until Agabus shows up with another message he doesn't want to listen to. Anybody know who Agabus is? I forgot about him until I read through this a couple weeks ago. Prophet. So Agabus comes in and says, give me your belt. In fact, he goes over to Paul takes his belt off him. 
It's like, dude, what are you doing? I mean, if anybody comes up to me and takes my belt off me, it's like, dude, well, well, no, take, take, take the pill, man. Get back away from me. This is my belt. How would you respond? And Agabus just for a moment says, hold on a second. The Spirit has spoken to me. You see, the people in Jerusalem, they're going to find the man with this belt and they're going to hand him over to the Gentiles to do whatever with him. So give me your belt. And Agabus sits down and buys, I don't know how he did that. I'm in my mind trying to figure out how he did this. It says The word says that he t- took Paul's belt and bound his hands and feet with him. I don't know if he had somebody helping him. I don't know if he did, but I don't know. I'm trying to picture he binds his hands and feet with him. I don't know. I just know that he took Paul's belt and bound his hands and feet with it because the Spirit told him that whoever has this belt is going to be handed over to the Gentiles. So the Spirit had revealed to Agabus that the Jews at Jerusalem were going to find him. So Paul, once again, is encouraged not to go to Jerusalem. Look at verse 12. He says, Now when we stayed or heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? What was Paul's attitude about the people in Jerusalem that he was going to see? What do you get from this? Now that's your question. What? He's concerned for them. He said, what do you mean by this? By breaking my heart and my tears. He goes, I I need to get there. Were Paul's motives sincere? Yeah. Are we often sincere even though the Spirit's telling us not to do something? Are we sincere in that we want to do what we want to do? I am. I can justify, rationalize, excuses. I've said a million times why I think I should do what I want to do. Just ask me. I'll tell you. I'll give you a million reasons why I think I'm right and why I think you're not right. It's my opinion. But when the Spirit comes into it, it's a different subject because it's not about me. It's about Him and what He wants. Right? Right? It's what He wants. So the Spirit is revealed to Agabus. He can't, you know, he's not to go. And Paul looks at him and says, what do you mean by weeping and breaking of my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And I don't fully understand that. I, I'm not going to lie here. I don't fully understand why Paul did other than he must have been convinced by the same Spirit that he was to go. I don't know what God has a plan for his life. And what he does is, he says, for I'm not only ready to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem in the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. He says, God's will be done. So even, even though Paul was wanting to go and they were telling him not to, they said the Lord's will be done. They still surrendered it to what God willed to do. And I think there are times and we want to do one thing and we think the Spirit was telling them to do something different. What do you do in those circumstances? You surrender it to the will of God. That's the only thing you can do. In fact, how do I know if what I'm about to do is God's will or not? Let me give you a couple let me give you three passages that will help you determine whether or not something is God's will or how to know God's will. First one is really simple. James chapter one verse five says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So the first thing you need to do when you're not sure whether or not it's God's will you do something, you need to ask God for wisdom. See, your personal experiences don't matter. What you may have done in the past really doesn't matter for this one. What someone else really says really doesn't matter. You need to seek God's face and His face alone for wisdom. But here's he says how to do it, verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven, tossed by the wind. And let that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he's double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. You want to know whether or not you should go here or there, or do this or that, or say this or that? You need to just say, God, I need your wisdom. I need you to speak to my heart. I need you to give me wisdom. And then you better believe that he's going to do it. Because if you don't believe he's going to do it, it says, let that man not... If you're wavering in your faith, he said, let him ask in faith. If you're wavering, don't expect an answer. He says, with faith, ask him, and he will what? Give it to all men liberally. So, do you think that if you've got a decision to make and you're not sure what to do, whether or not it's part of God's will for your life, that if you ask God for wisdom in making that decision, He's going to do that? If you ask in faith? Either God's going to do it or He's a liar. I believe God's not a liar. I believe that God is faithful to His Word. Amen? And so if you ask Him in faith, He's going to guide you and direct you. Let's go back to that verse in Proverbs chapter 3. That's familiar to every one of us in, here, in this room this morning. 3, 5, and 6 this time. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Stop right there. How often do we lean on our own understanding? Well, I know God worked this way in the past, so He's going to work in the same way this time. Really? God might work completely different than He worked in the past. He may use different people than He's used in the past. He may use different circumstances than He used in the past. That's why He says, Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't try to figure it out. He says, In all your ways acknowledge Him. And he'll direct your path. You want to know if it's God's will? Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him. And he said, I'll teach you whether or not you, need, you should go forward and when and if and how and where and all the details. So James 1.5, are we asking? Proverbs 3.5.6, are we trusting? And then John 16.33. One more. Verse 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you who, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I love that because there's something here that we kind of overlook. These things that I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Peace. Are you willing to just rest and wait? What's one of the hardest things to do when we have decisions to make? Is to just stop and wait and rest in what God's doing. I don't know about you, but I want immediate results. I mean, I don't know about you. I, I got this. So I got these pair of Okahona, what, what, what are they called? Okahona shoes, whatever. Oka, Okas, uh, whatever they are. I, they're the most comfortable shoes. Yeah, my wife's laughing at me. They're the most comfortable tennis shoes I've ever worn in my life. I love them. But you know that has like the track on the bottom of tennis shoes? The outside rubber piece, they're flapping. I'm like, oh, come on, really? 
these things are not even two months old, and all the little flaps, and you got like this little piece of rubber flat dry. Does that stuff like, irritate anybody else? Am I the only nut job in this? I, it just drives me nuts. So I get out my handy-dandy smartphone, what to put on rubber shoes when it starts to flap. Yeah, I just put it like that. And it gives me the three top glues made for rubber shoes. Loctite was number one. I get my hiney in the truck, go to Lowe's, get me a little tube of Loctite rubber for shoes. I'm expecting it to what? Work. I wake up the next morning, I want to wear them things. I'm supposed to let them for best results sit for 24 to 48 hours. It's been eight. Anybody else? Feels like it's solid. Putting them babies on. They're comfortable. Going out. And I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. And I'm sitting there talking to somebody going like this with my foot. Next thing I feel what? Flap. Like, oh, for the love of Jesus. Really? It was solid. Did I wait the 48 hours? No. I thought it was pretty good. How often do we do that? Because we want what we want when we want it, as often as we want it, for as long as we want it, with whatever. That's how we treat life. And God's like, just rest a little bit. I'll give you peace in this. There's going to be tribulation all around you, but just hold on. Have we learned to wait? So I, I get from James 1.5, he says, if you ask for wisdom, are we asking? From Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, he says, trust, are we trusting? And in John 16, he talks about the idea of resting in his peace. Are we waiting? Until we learn to do those things, we could potentially step into the direction that's not God's will because we're not asking him, because we're not trusting him, because we're not waiting on him. And these are just three simple things, and there's a ton of other things that we could add to it, but they're just simple things that we can do to know that we're walking in God's will. Paul went from place to place, and at some point you just have to trust God he says, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to commend this to the will of God. May the will of God take place. He's saying I shouldn't go, and the Spirit's telling him that. I believe the Spirit's telling me to go. What do I do? I'm trusting God. I'm surrendering it to the will. Whatever His will is going to take place. If I get there, as Paul had been told how many times, if you go there, trouble's awaiting. He's like, I mean, I've already what, been shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, left for dead, stoned. Abused, imprisoned. <laughs> Bring it on. What next? I'm, I'm up for the challenge. I'm game. Paul had learned to trust God and to leave the outcome in his hands. And I don't think we see a circumstance where Paul's just saying, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I don't care what you think. He was willing to trust God. I don't know about you, but that's a challenge to me. Anybody else challenged with that? Because I want what I want when I want it. I want to control the circumstances. Anyone else? That's me. And I'm constantly learning that I need to like, slow down. Every once in a while, my wife will look at me and she goes, I know what you think I'm going to say, but you're wrong. Just listen to me. Nothing drives me more nuts than someone who wants to finish your sentence for you and answer it at the same time. And I catch myself doing that. Doesn't that irritate you? I know I irritate her. That's why I say I'm blessed. She's been so patient over these 30 years. God is so good. But we need to surrender to his will. And Paul gives us a great example of that. Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak in our hearts, to our hearts this day. 
And Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn from Paul the things that you'd have us to learn from. Ultimately, Lord, learning from you and your word. But Lord, I do pray that we would learn to apply some of these principles of Lord. Lord, we can make all the plans we want, but Lord, you're going to orchestrate our steps. And Lord, you ask us to trust you. You ask us to um, ask you, Lord, for that wisdom and to trust you in everyday circumstances and to wait on you, Lord, for you to speak and to lead. And I pray, God, you'd help us to do that this week. Lord, help us to do it today. And Lord, I pray for everyone in this room this morning, Lord, that you'd be with them as well. Uh, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts. Challenge us, but not only challenge us, change us. And may we be submissive, Lord, to your spirit's leading, to the will of God in our lives. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just pray for a moment, or ask for a moment that no one be looking around, that we'd just be in a spirit of prayer. But maybe today the message has challenged you in some way. Maybe God's word has pricked your conscience in one way or another. You say, Pastor King, there's some things I need to work on. There's some things I need to surrender to God. There's some asking. There's some faith I need to apply. There's, there's, some, there's some circumstances. God is speaking to me. Would you pray for me this morning? Anyone like that? Yes. In the front, in the middle, in the sides. Yes. In the back, over here. Yes. I know that God knows every single thing that you're going through. He does. And so the question is, are you going to try to control that or are you going to let God control it through you? And so we need to ask him daily. And if you don't get an immediate response, it's okay. He's working. But to ask him and to trust in him and then to wait on what he's wanting to do. Can I challenge those of you who have lifted your hand, your hearts, just for a moment, to take a moment right there where you're at, just in the silence of your seat, to say, Lord, you know what it is I'm going through. You know what it is I'm struggling with. You know whatever... Whatever the situation be, Lord, if, if I step this way, is it in your will? If I step that way, is it out of your will? Lord, you know those things. Just give it to God right now. Surrender it. Ask for wisdom. Resist making decisions and doing things in your own understanding. Resist it. Trust Him. And wait on Him. Let's all stand to our feet. Lord, you know the very things that we struggle with. Lord, every one of us has circumstances in our life where we need to know your will in. Maybe some of us are going through something right now. Maybe some of us are about to be faced with some decision-making or some circumstances, Lord, that we're going to be put to the test. And, Lord, we're going to need to know what your will is. I pray, God, that we would surrender, just as Paul did, going from town to town, city to city, port to port on these ships. Lord, I pray that we would learn from him, Lord, to be faithful, to keep serving, to keep Lord, being going forth with boldness and courage, but at the same time to be listening to the Spirit. Because that's the most important thing any of us could do, Father. So be with each one who raised their hand their heart towards you this morning, Lord, that we would see your hand at work. And we'll praise you for it. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.